Hello and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. My name is Jason Steffenhagen. I'm the Associate Minister at The Well, United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota, and it's a pleasure having you join us this week for Episode 7 of Season 2 of Deconstructing the Bible. We're exploring a different parable each week, and this week we're going to talk about the divided kingdom, but let me read you a verse first, kind of scary verse, Mark 3.29. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. This is a direct quote from Jesus in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 29. Anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Whew! I remember when I was a kid, my friends and I who grew up in the church and went to youth group and all that thing, this verse scared us and scared me more than basically any other verse in the Bible. It was kind of like the movie The Sandman. Now, the movie The Sandman is an old, older horror movie. They're actually remaking it. And in the movie The Sandman, basically what would happen is you would look in the mirror And if you said this certain phrase three times, then suddenly the Sandman would come through the mirror and kill you. Now, obviously, I'm not recommending this movie. I actually hate horror movies. And I saw this movie at a friend's house and was, you know, too chicken to uh, go home, even though I knew I was not a fan of horror movies. But I wasn't going to leave. I didn't want to be that guy, even though I should have just been that guy. And so I watched this movie and I was so terrified that when I went home that night, I promptly put on the movie You've Got Mail, the romantic comedy with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. I promptly put on that movie so I could fall asleep because there was absolutely no way I was going to fall asleep after watching The Sandman. Why? Because I couldn't even go into the bathroom and brush my teeth because I didn't want to look in the mirror because of what may happen. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit was kind of like this for me and my friends. Like, what if we said the wrong words and instantly we lost our salvation? What if we looked in the mirror, said the wrong thing, and were eternally goners? We just didn't even know what blaspheming the Holy Spirit could be, and we were terrified we might accidentally do it, and suddenly, bye-bye, there goes salvation. Sorry, St. Peter, we're not getting through the pearly gates. Needless to say, I've always been worried about this verse. But in true horror movie or suspenseful movie fashion, let's hold the tension for a little while and take us in a different direction before we come back to this. Have you ever had someone in your life who could hold space? They held back the tide that was always creeping towards your feet. Like when you were around them, you could just breathe for a moment. Sometimes these people are our best friends or maybe a partner or a spouse. Sometimes It could be a mentor or just someone on the periphery of life that makes you feel comfortable in the space that you are in. There's a guy by the name of Bob Stein who was someone that held space for me. I was just starting what would turn out to be a 17-month interim teaching and preaching position at a local church, and he was a member of that church. Bob Stein was and is a legendary Bethel Seminary professor of the New Testament. He actually wrote a commentary on the book of Mark. Now, I didn't know he was a part of this congregation when I took the job, 
And I don't know if it would have dissuaded me from doing so, but it would have definitely given me some pause. But a few months into it, I found out and was made aware that he was there almost every Sunday sitting in the back. Now, the next time I was there, I made sure to introduce myself. And he was as gracious as could be, complimented my work, told me how much he liked hearing stories about my family. And then he said something that created space for me. I told him that if he ever had any thoughts about my preaching, I'd be happy to hear from him. I felt like that was the right thing to say to someone who had been spending his entire professional career studying the Gospels. And then he said something to me along the lines of, I've committed to keeping my thoughts to myself for all the pastors that preach and teach at this church. I don't want my perspectives on Scripture to overly impact what God is leading you to say. That's my commitment. You don't need me looking over your shoulder. That isn't a healthy pressure. You don't need me looking over your shoulder. That isn't a healthy pressure. The next week, a copy of his commentary on the book of Mark ended up on my desk with a handwritten note encouraging me and just thoughtfully, um, yeah, giving me permission. Bob Stein was giving space for me to lead. It was, like I just said, it was permission. It was air to breathe and it was a wind in my sails. And for 17 months, I got to shape a narrative about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, God's work in the world and our ability to partner with God in the renewal of all things and how the Bible was more alive than I ever thought possible. Jesus is about holding space. Sometimes Jesus holds space by accepting us despite all the ways we've walked away or gone down the wrong path. Sometimes Jesus holds space for us by being patient while we wallow in our self-righteousness. He knows humility is going to catch up to us soon enough. Sometimes Jesus holds space by setting us free from the things that keep us bound and unable to breathe. Jesus reminds us of who we really are, God's beloved, a child of God, that we are known and that we are worthy of love. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is holding and creating space for people. And it's starting to make the religious leaders a little nervous. He's performing miracles, he's recruiting disciples, and he's even appointed 12 of them to be apostles. And he's given them authority to cast out demons. And we pick up the story in verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Something was going on in the house. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Now, we don't actually get an explanation of what was happening that made them say this. But based on the following verses that I'm about to read, he may have been casting out demons. Either way, he was doing something that caused a little uproar, that drew some attention, even to the point where his family felt like they should intervene. So we pick it up in verse 22, but the teachers of religious law or scribes who had arrived from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration or differently translated, a parable. Now remember, a parable can be a story or example that helps explain a deeper truth. And so Jesus opens with a question in this illustration, this parable, that kind of acts like a thesis statement. 
Jesus says this, how can Satan cast out Satan? And here's Jesus' three supporting arguments. Verse 24, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Verse 25, similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And the third one, verse 26, and if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Three examples that emphasize a deeper truth. A kingdom cannot be at war against itself. A kingdom cannot be divided. A family that is feuding will splinter. Satan would not fight against himself. He would never survive. Jesus gives us these three examples to help us understand what's going on, but he's not done yet. Jesus says this in verse 27, let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Now, Jesus is making a statement about how things are and a claim about how things will be. See, the enemy has plundered God's good creation. Humanity is selfish and greedy. People oppress one another and do horrible things. They use power and wealth and position to keep people down. Sinful systems protect the powerful and marginalize the weak. The enemy has plundered God's good creation, and we're participating in that. But Jesus, in the gospel of love and grace and kindness and peace and self-control and forgiveness, are more powerful than all the destructive powers of the enemy and the systems that perpetuate evil. Jesus, the Christ, is binding up those oppressive powers. Jesus is creating space for something new to exist. The Holy Spirit, as we often say, is up to something. And so we pick it up again in verse 28. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone, here we are back to verse 29, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. So why does Jesus say this? Why is blaspheming the Holy Spirit the one unforgivable sin? Bob Stein writes in his commentary on Mark, In rejecting what the Holy Spirit was doing in the ministry of Jesus, the scribes and religious leaders were rejecting God. Perhaps it's an unpardonable sin because the act of blaspheming the work of the Spirit is to resist the Spirit's work in the human heart, and without the Spirit's work, repentance and faith are impossible. Now here's my translation. Here's my understanding of what I think Bob Stein is saying, what I think Jesus is trying to tell us. The religious leaders, they were rejecting the obvious good news of Jesus. They're just rejecting it. He's setting people free from possession. He's restoring them to their true selves. He was helping them be free from the chains and bondage that had possessed their lives. He was welcoming people into a relationship with a loving God, not a God of punishment and vengeance, but a God of belonging and acceptance and grace. Jesus was offering forgiveness. So by rejecting what Jesus was doing and going a step further and claiming that what he was doing was the work of the devil, is denying the very notions of love and grace and forgiveness and freedom and mercy. 
It's unforgivable because you don't believe in forgiveness. You don't even have space for forgiveness to exist. Let me say that again. It's unforgivable because you don't even believe in forgiveness. So then here's the question that we're all probably asking. Am I in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Should you, should I, should we be worried? Well, do you think forgiveness is possible? Do you think love is the engine that moves the world towards justice and hope? Do you believe God is offering grace? Is Jesus the Christ, the one who creates space for people? Then the natural question, how are you creating space? How are you holding back the tide or giving air to breathe or making someone feel more welcome in your presence? These are the types of questions that we should be asking. The lesson of this parable, the parable of the divided kingdom, is that we can't hold space and move towards love and create a more just society and overturn the systems of oppression by swinging a larger stick or pointing a larger gun or threatening a bigger bomb or condemning more people to hell. Those are the tactics of the enemy. They're the opposite of love and peace. It's a kingdom divided against itself. Instead, we move towards the hope we hold on to by enacting the type of practices that exemplify the kingdom we represent. Let me say that again. We move towards the hope we hold on to by enacting the type of practices that exemplify the kingdom we represent. We love, we offer forgiveness, we give grace, we practice mercy, we hold space for people. That's what we do. And when we do those things, we are not a kingdom divided, but instead we are participating in the way of Christ. We are participating in the way of God's Spirit, joining with God in the reconciliation, the renewal, the restoration, and the resurrection of all things. We aren't going against the Holy Spirit. We are participating in the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in grace. We believe in justice. We believe in love. We believe in love. At the end of the day, there's faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let us be a people that love. Keep holding space for others. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Deconstructing the Bible, where we talked a little bit about Mark chapter 3. If you'd like to continue the conversation, feel free to join me on Zoom. Check out the show notes for a link that will take place on Thursday at 1 p.m. So Thursday at 1 p.m. on Zoom, you can check the show notes and you can join us to take the conversation a little deeper. Maybe you have a different take on what this means and how we can understand it. Maybe you have some questions that we need to think more about. Whatever it is you're bringing to the table, we welcome it to the conversation. So thanks again for joining me for Deconstructing the Bible.